Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone... Open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day that we get to worship together and for the blessing that music is for us, and uh, thank you for being God Almighty and for being enough for us every single day. Um, Thank you for Danny and him preaching today. I pray that you will open all of our hearts to listen to the teaching. In your name, amen. 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 Uh, Have you ever been in a pitch black room and had someone turn the lights on before? Yeah, it gets you, doesn't it? Especially if you don't want them on, right? Most of the time, if you're in a pitch black room, you don't want them on immediately. Um, And honestly, it feels a little bit blinding at first, right? It kind of becomes like, oh, too much, can't handle it. But what's interesting is that uh, (laughs) we might even say we like light, but that moment from darkness to light isn't always the most pleasant. Let me me think of it differently than that. Have you ever been... Uh, and this might tell me if you maybe need to take your wife out on a few more dates, okay, or something like that. You ever been at a romantic restaurant that was lit with huge industrial halogen lights? No, no, of course not. Uh, there's a reason that a doctor's light is bright to see blemishes, but that when you go to a restaurant that's romantic, you can barely see to butter your bread, right? Light is revealing. It exposes what the darkness hides. And in our story and in general, Jesus is the light of the world. And his light can be jarring for those who love darkness. Now, when we talk about Jesus, we often speak of compassion, 
teachings, miracles. But Jesus is also the bringer of judgment on those who insist on darkness. During his ministry, he is shedding light on a corrupt system. And the culture, as the disciples know it, is under divine judgment because the true light, Jesus, is revealing humanity's and their own darkened hearts. And he is training his followers to do the same. In John 8, 12, he kind of outlines this. Those who will follow Jesus will do the same things Jesus does. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, all of us who are followers of Jesus once walked in darkness, and Jesus shone on our darkness, and we responded. This describes our former state and also the current state of the entire world. So I'm going to take us back to Romans 1 for a second, because this is important to remember as we understand this conversation about light. There is a present reality that Jesus comes into. There is a state of the world, state of our own human hearts that Jesus comes into. So Romans 1, 18 to 22, this is what's interesting about darkness, because I think all of us would innately think that darkness and blindness represents ignorance. And it can, but most often it does not. Most often darkness is spoken of in this very way in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and in the things that have been made, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. See, the interesting thing is that darkness doesn't always represent ignorance. Darkness actually often can represent cleverness. Creative ways to keep the light out. Creative ways to prevent light from penetrating the places that darkness doesn't want to be revealed. And this is what Jesus says about the Pharisees. In uh, Matthew 23, he gives these seven woes, and this is one of them. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but are within full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So also outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so he warns his disciples of these people. In Matthew 15, 14, he says, Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. See, darkness and a darkened mind, a futile mind, is not one that doesn't work. It's one that works on the wrong things. The truth is, is that humanity in general is extraordinarily clever at being able to prevent any light from penetrating in places it doesn't want it. Yet think of how far someone would have to go like the, like the disciples who grew up in a culture that had and was being led by these blind guides 
people who claim to be and know light, people who say the right things or maybe try to give you a clever way to understand the world. Maybe the way that they speak appeals to your ear. Maybe maybe you are appealed to because it, it feels accepting. It feels like there's something more here that you can feel and it's emotive and all of these things are engaging and And yet that darkness is really just a clever way to shield itself and suppress truth. That's the state of the world. Now, if you remember the simplicity of this story in John 9, as we jump back in, the truth is, is that there's a really simple scenario and narrative, okay? Jesus sees this guy. He was born blind. He explains to his disciples that it isn't because of anyone's direct sin And he walks through that process. But then this man who washes in the pool of Siloam receives sight, and now he's being interrogated by different groups of people, sometimes his neighbors, sometimes the religious leaders. And what's cool about this is you see this step-by-step process. You see the crowd start to ask him, who did this? The man, Jesus. Okay? So the crowds now know Jesus is the one who did this. And so then you see the religious leaders who don't like Jesus, and they bring this man in. And they're like, who did this? Jesus, right? Well, I I mean, I don't know. I think we should investigate some more. So then they bring the man's parents. They don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue, so they're like, ask him, ask, ask him, he's of age. But we think it was probably Jesus. And so we come to this again, This is the second time that the Pharisees have brought this man back, okay? Now, this man grew up being an outcast. This wasn't like somebody who had been welcomed in by the Pharisees a bunch of times. So the first two interactions that this man has with the leaders of his culture are a little bit ominous. And I think kind of scary. I mean, if you can imagine if the flip was, like, the, the, the script was flipped here and you were the ones who were doing most of the talking and I was doing most of the listening and you were interrogating me, and this group of people, right, all of a sudden, I'm just like, and it's the first time I can see, so now I know that you're all staring at me. So John 9, 24 says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. When they say that we know that this man is a sinner, they're not talking about the blind man. They're talking about Jesus. And if you remember a reference back, it's because something happened where Jesus, in his literal rubbing of mud on the man's eyes, broke a Sabbath rule. They're just simply saying, we know he's a sinner. And all they're asking in this question, all they're saying in give glory to God is, okay, let's, let's remove the facade. You just, you just tell us that Jesus didn't do this. You walk us through whatever scenario other than Jesus you can give us, and, and we'll be on our merry way. And you can even worship in the synagogue now, and you can be a part of culture. It'll be awesome. You'll love it. The truth is, is that the Pharisees are going to see what they want to see. Darkness protects itself really well. Darkness has a funny way of not listening when light is available. And it is their own confirmation bias that is getting in the way of them seeing what is actually happening here. Now, I think this is a really fun response because what the man says in 925 is really interesting. He says, whether he's a sinner, I I don't know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. 
Now, I love the simplicity and humility of this verse. The language here, I don't know. He's saying, gosh, I, I don't know everything that darkness holds. I, I don't have a full grapple with every detail of what you're trying to say about Jesus. And, and I don't know what you're trying to get at here. But if you're trying to tell me that Jesus is darkness and you're light, I kind of have a physical example of Jesus allowing me to see for the first time. I don't really know what you're saying, but I know this. Jesus brought light to my blind eyes. I see now. So you can't confuse darkness and light with me. You can't trick me into thinking that your clever darkness is actually what light is because Jesus opened my eyes. Now, what I love here is a truth that is foundational for those of us who worship Jesus. It, it's not built on knowledge. Our faith is not built on knowledge, but in fact is built on what we don't understand. Jesus. He's too great. He's too high above us. We don't fully get Jesus. We want to, but we don't. The truth is, is that our faith is rooted in this, I need you. It's rooted in this sense that we don't have what it takes. It's the acknowledgement that the darkness in us is there. And there are blemishes in that darkness. And, and, and if I just ignore it and hide it, it's not going to do anything for me. It's the acknowledgement that like, gosh, I, I, I don't know everything. I couldn't give you every theological argument as to why you should follow Jesus. But I know this, ah, like I need him. Gosh, I felt this on the way here today. I, I really did. Like I, uh, I struggle with anxiety at times. And when I do, I, I can't see things clearly. My mind gets jumbled and foggy and I'm riding my bike here today and, and I'm like, oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to say that right, but I just need Jesus. I just need you, Jesus. That's the foundation. That's the foundation of the relationship. That's the basis of all of this. You had someone born blind and needed Jesus to open his eyes. At the core of who you are as a follower of Jesus is that feeling that I don't know, I, I, when I, but I need you. Because you'll hit that place. You might hit that multiple times. And the truth is, is that is where when the light uncovers the darkness, when things are a little bit hazy, when things don't make sense, it's not rooted in your intelligence. It's not rooted in your theological understanding. It's rooted in, I just need Jesus. And everything else is built from there. And that's what I love about the simplicity of him just saying, look, I, I don't know all that you're saying. I just know I was blind and now I see. And what's beautiful is that in that place of dependence, in that place of, of just clarity, 
the interaction becomes really interesting. Because the Pharisees are dark. After saying that, they ask him this question. And, and mind you, before I say that, I want to remind you again, that this is not the first interaction. Okay? The Pharisees have had several instances of what's happened in this scenario and narrative, okay? So then they lead with this question. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, come on. Like, I've answered this question at least three times. I, you're just not going to listen. You're not going to hear it. The Pharisees aren't asking him questions to discover something. The Pharisees are asking him questions to find ways to suppress the truth. They're looking for a clever angle. The same way they did with Jesus. They're trying to find something, something that they can catch him on so that they can finally suppress that. In this scenario, the Pharisees so clearly represent how darkness works. They're smart. They're smart. And they can ask whatever question they want. But what he answers is this. I have told you already and you would not listen. That is the boldest thing he could say right there, but now he's going to back it up with something even bolder. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, way to poke the bear, dude. You just got it, right? He all of a sudden gives this super bold response. But what's interesting is that some people think that he is, he's actually trying to mess with them. I actually think that this man is in a space right now, this formerly blind man, where he is not in this, like, I'm ultra clever too. Again, you're freaked out, dude. You're in a room full of the most powerful people in your culture, and they're staring at you, and you never saw before. Like, this is not like a, oh, yeah, gotcha. I think this is actually him in that moment, just in a humble, beautiful, childlike way going, gosh, are you guys starting to kind of see the light? Are you kind of starting to see it like I do? Now, no doubt he knew, right? No doubt he knew that the room, and he probably wasn't the best at reading a room, but like no doubt he, he knew that the room was not going to respond well to this, okay? But what's interesting is he just continues to say back to them, you don't need more information, no matter what I tell you right now, you don't need more information. You're not going to listen. You need to hear what I've already said. And what's interesting is that's the story of this blind man. If you remember, he hasn't seen Jesus yet. Right? He hears Jesus, and Jesus rubs mud on his eyes, but then Jesus sends him away to go and wash that mud off. This man hasn't seen Jesus, according to this narrative, yet. So this is simply him saying, you have to hear first. You got to start to listen to the truth here. And that the Pharisees aren't going to do either. They won't listen, and they won't stop suppressing the truth. So the formerly blind man, he calls him out. 
We see the boldness of the formerly blind man. They're, these are the leading scholars. And maybe he said this in some, because some of them in the room were suppressing the truth, but mounting evidence was helping them see that Jesus really is the Messiah. Yet they will fight light. And this is the response of darkness when light hits it. They reviled him, John 9, 28 to 29, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. Oh, they messed up. They don't know it right away. But they just fulfilled prophecy of Jesus being the Messiah. Everyone is staring at you. The most powerful people in your culture. And he is bold. As bold as light in a dark room, right? For the first time in his life, he sees danger. He sees it. He starts to recognize, this is more than I can handle. He starts to feel it. In this moment, he could easily give them what they want. Easily. In this moment, like any moment where light hits darkness, you could easily continue to suppress the truth. But you know the truth. And you know that once that light hits that darkness, you can suppress it and try to forget it, but you'll never, ever beat back the light because you know that light is relentless. So what does he say after that? Well, all of a sudden he becomes a scholar. Like out of nowhere, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now, what's interesting is when the Pharisees originally said, we don't know where this man comes from, they themselves in John 7 already said that, that we won't know where the Messiah comes from. Okay, The Pharisees, in their emotional moment of reviling and literally heaping abuses, now, Picture this, this idea of reviling, and I don't know how long this lasts. In the narrative, it feels like 10 seconds, but actually in the story, we don't know if it was like 20 minutes of literal verbal abuse on this man, right? Hurling things at him, these people in front of him, interrogating him and pushing back on him. But they've already accidentally said that we don't know where the Messiah comes from, and then all of a sudden in this narrative, they say, we don't know where Jesus comes from. So this man becomes the scholar and he says, amazing thing. What's cool about this and, and, and what, what we start to see is that once that light is there, and once that light is being at least a little bit lived in and walked in, it starts to reveal more things. You start to see Jesus everywhere. And, and I was like this, okay, like I... When I, I remember, so when I came to Jesus, it was like, like the light bulb turned on, right? And like every tree was like, Jesus? But I remember that feeling or that sense where it was like, I can go nowhere without you. 
I can literally do nothing without you. Like, there's light everywhere. God is doing amazing things. And I, I literally, I literally was like, you can do anything, anything. And like, my mind wandered, and it was awesome. But that excitement that comes with the light, that excitement is not welcome from the darkness. That true sense of dependence and passion and desire and the seeing, that's not welcomed by the blind. It just tells them what they don't have. And that includes people who even claim at some point to understand things. So the blind man flips the script on him. They brought him in so they could disprove a miracle. And now basically in their presence, he's proven that Jesus is the Christ. This man is being used as light, participating in the revelation of who Jesus is. This is a moment where someone could easily turn from the darkness and walk in the light. This is that moment where light is being revealed in this room to a group of Pharisees and this formerly blind man. And in that moment, somebody could say, I want to go with the light. So what happens? I mean, somebody in that room, maybe they confess the truth. Maybe they, maybe they rise up and they're excited. Maybe not. They answered him in John 9, 34 and said, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. That casting out is a sending out that's bigger than just leave the room. It's a casting out to no longer being involved in culture, to no longer being a part of what we do here. We, as the powers that be, are sending you to live on the ex, literally the outside of the camp. This man lived there. This man was a blind beggar, not invited. This man was not embraced, not in fellowship. And he had his shot at it. All he had to do, all he had to do was join in suppressing the truth. But he doesn't. And now he's outside the camp. If you associate with Jesus, expect that you'll be treated like Jesus. What's crazy about this, guys, is where Jesus is. Because Jesus hasn't been in this narrative since he touched the blind man's eyes. And yet, all of a sudden, he shows up again. John 9.35. Jesus heard that they cast him out. That, that they had cast him out, and having found him, he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? This is the first time he sees Jesus. The first time he sees Jesus is outside of the camp. This is so like Jesus. Where darkness dwells, Jesus is fine to bring light, but light will almost always be rejected by darkness. And so you will find that light outside the camp. Hebrews 13, 12 to 15 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge the name 
of Jesus. So what happens here? This man fulfills this command. John 9, 36 to 38. He answers, and who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Now, the son of man was a reference to a messianic prophecy in Daniel. And so the son of man, he's asking him, do you believe I'm the Christ? Do you believe I'm the one who's come from God? If you believe that, okay. And, and, and this formerly blind man, he says, he answered, and, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. You have seen him. This man was blind however many months ago. And now you've seen the Messiah. Your eyes are opened in every single way. It is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. What happens is this man is cast out. This man is pushed away. Why? Because darkness can't handle that much unless unless it becomes lit up. So the light doesn't battle with darkness. There's no battle. The light reveals what was there. Darkness loses every time, but darkness seeks to suppress light. Darkness seeks to put a covering over, to hide itself, to live in the shadows, to make sure that it survives. Why? Not because people are completely ignorant, although some are, but because people want to hide the truth because they love sin. The Pharisees loved being the intellectuals. They loved being the ones who understood. They loved the reputation that they had. And in so loving their reputation, when the light shone as to who they really were, they couldn't say, yes, we're blind. They couldn't listen. They couldn't hear anymore. They had no dependence. Jesus, I need something. I see the darkness now. Now, this is who Jesus is, almighty, worthy of worship, the source of all that is good. And when the blinders are removed, we can finally see, and our first real spiritual sight is Jesus. And from day one to day one million and beyond, it is always about seeing Jesus. (laughs) I, I can't emphasize this enough, and I know that you know this, but I pray that you feel this or see this. The truth is, is that a Christian is not somebody who has the right set of rules. A Christian is not somebody who participates in church life. A Christian is not somebody who chose an ideology or religion that was correct. We worship Jesus. That's what we do. That's who we are at our core. Like everything. He is the light. Who we are is dependent on that. We go, Jesus, I I love you. I need you. I got nothing else. You're the light. What else? Where else do I go? Like, who else am I going to go to? You're the truth. At the core of who we are as believers is this idea. We worship Jesus in our actions, in our words, in our life. Now, some of you, I, I know where that may stand with you. Some of you have said that you like Jesus. But there's a darkness that you can't let go of. There's something in you. There's something in you that won't let go. Because you think it's good. Because it meets a need that you think you have that you need more than Jesus. Because you like it. Because there's a pleasure in there that satisfies something. You cannot cover your own sin. 
That's the beauty of Jesus. The light will hit that sin. And you will have a moment where you can choose to try to suppress the truth and you can choose to try to cover that blemish. Or you can realize that if you just let go, Jesus will cover it. His blood will come and literally wash over you. You'll have to change. But darkness doesn't cover anything. It just hides it. And the light of the world will not be stopped. That's the beauty of him coming. He came to the world that every corner will become illumined. That every part of the world will now have light. Light will either mean judgment or light will mean freedom and truth. Jesus is bringing light. And in bringing light, there is only a couple of ways this goes. Think of how far this formerly blind man has come. He started with hearing Jesus, then obeying Jesus. From there, he's interrogated. And then he calls Jesus a man, right? And then from there, he's interrogated again, and he calls Jesus a prophet. And finally, he ends up before Jesus, and he worships him. Jesus caps it off by explaining it all. In 939 to 41, he says, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said, are, are we also blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Another way of saying that is, if you were blind, I would help you see. But now you say, we see, and you have no need. Your guilt remains. Pharisee has had constructed a facade to suppress the truth. Darkness loves to masquerade as light. If you claim to see light outside of Jesus, it's actually darkness trying to protect itself. Deception is a mark of darkness, and the hubris of the Pharisees was their belief that they could keep their sin and still have some semblance of what they would call light. But that's not who we are. I wish I had more time to explain this, but the truth is, is I want to leave us today with this idea. What has Jesus done? Because if he has shown on your heart and you're in that space where you're like, I need you, I know I need you every day. Gosh, the way I need you even feels uncomfortable to some. But as Jesus does that, he, he molds and he does something fascinating because he takes what was outside the camp and he turns it into his kingdom. These are the people that Jesus goes with is the people who've been kicked out. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12 says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Gosh, when I hear that phrase, I think of that room and that blind man being shamed and reviled. But he's not going to be put to shame ultimately. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
The stumble be, they stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined to do it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. The Pharisees thought they were the worship leaders. But it turns out that it was a blind beggar that Jesus healed. What we are doing is based in dependence. Whether you're here today and you believe already in some capacity and you feel like the light has been shining upon you, is there a darkness in you that you are hiding? It will be revealed. And if you try to cover that darkness, you will see how ineffective any covering but Jesus is. Come into the light and watch as Jesus washes away the blemishes that we're trying to hide. And if you believe, then we lead worship. We worship Jesus every day. That's who we are. And right now, outside the camp, Jesus has made us a kingdom of people who are priests. So we go and we reveal light, as Jesus did. Let me pray for us. Lord, we trust you. We love you. God, we need you. We need you every single day. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what you're doing here. But I know that for me, I was blind to my sin and I was blind to everything else that was going on around me, but now I see. God, may you continue to open our eyes to the truth. May we walk in light and humbly, dependently worship you. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.